Transmission incoming, over. Copy that, transmission received. All right, so welcome back to the show. Election was last night, kind of. Uh, it's going to be one of those situations where everybody knows it's going to be contested and it's going to be drawn out for possibly a month or more. So right now, Trump is winning. And if they just gave Trump all of the electoral votes that were due to him because he is winning uh, with states that are 90% in or at least majority in, then he would win. He would break that 270 uh, delegate mark, and that would be that. But the thing of it is, is they refuse to award him those electoral votes because in many states right now, there are situations where they're waiting on massive amounts of mail-in votes. And those states are Michigan, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Georgia, potentially Alaska, but Alaska is kind of irrelevant because there's only, I think, three electoral votes there anyway. So... That's the scenario. So right now it's 238 for Biden and 213 with Trump. If you add in those states that I mentioned where Trump is currently uh, winning, then it would be a victory for Trump. But we all knew this was going to be the scenario. We were under no misconception that this would be a easy victory for anybody and that it would not be ambiguous. It will be challenged either way. There will be recounts. There might be recounts in 10 or 15 states where it was close. And one of those states is probably going to be Florida because it always is. Uh, Texas was early on going pretty blue, but it looks like there's a 6% lead. So I don't really think that's going to be an issue. Uh, North Carolina is going to be close. Georgia is going to be close. Michigan is so close that they have no option but to recount it. But what's interesting is that this is the new normal, if you will, and I hate using that word. Uh, so there will never in the human history of American elections ever be a, another election that is obvious, that isn't challenged. This is how things will work from here on out. There will be massive early voting. There will be default ballot harvesting. There will be fraud. I've read so many articles where poll watchers weren't allowed in. They uh, put up Biden signs in front of places. They were coaching people. And these are the quote-unquote satellite offices, right? The places that are not your traditional poll centers. In Pennsylvania, there were 290 additional satellite offices than there were in 2016. And the goal of that is, is to have so many voting places that it's impossible to regulate and it's impossible to keep tabs on them with election officials. And there is one video where one of these satellite offices in one of these states, a poll watcher showed up with a, you know, assigned paperwork from the governor or whoever that comes from, and they refused to let him in. And there were pictures of Biden signs. People were handing out pamphlets out front encouraging people to vote for Democrats, etc., etc., etc. This is rampant. This is the new normal. So when we think about elections, right, so in years past, the expectation always was you wake up the day after an election and you know who the president was. 
with minimal uh, nonsense. Uh, Bush Gore was a big one, obviously, but traditionally that's been the case. That's over. That's never going to happen again. And so that sucks because we essentially have third world politics in a first world nation. You know, this is something that you think would happen in Bolivia or Madagascar or Venezuela or some retard South American country somewhere that is just basically corrupt to the to the uh, to the tenth degree. And that's America right now, and that's tragic. It really is tragic. We don't have confidence in our election system. We don't have confidence in our uh, politicians. We don't have confidence in any of our institutions anymore. And it's sad. And it makes you wonder, like, what's going on? And I think what's going on is we've hit the peak of the American experiment, I think, is what's happened. And on enough time frame, the survivability of a country goes to zero. Right, and we've talked about the idea that republics and countries and empires last about 250 years on average. So what we're seeing is we're seeing the death throes of this republic, and we're watching it in real time. And what's interesting is that in generations past, they would be watching it in real time, but having no idea what's happening, they would be oblivious to it. But we know what's happening. Right, we've read the histories of the empires. We know history. It's in front of us. It's on Google. We can access that information in real time right now if we wanted to. And that's a little more concerning to us. And we can't help but feel that, you know, this is the end of end of the age, right? This is the end of the empire. And we don't know how to act about that. So politicians are clamoring to get every little piece of the pie because they want to be the captain of the ship when the ship goes down but what good is that you know what is it what good is it for a man to to profit the world but lose his soul right and when i think about how this election can turn out it might very well be that trump wins right it might be that biden wins it could be either way it's 50 50 really i suspect that most of those mail-in votes will be for democrats it has been traditionally kind of a Democrat talking point that because there's a virus, we need mail-in voting, and the, you should not go to the polls because it's dangerous, right? And that's kind of a Democrat narrative, whereas the Republican narrative has traditionally been wake up the morning of election day and go vote in person. And we did. And that's why the polls when they open up was traditional traditionally it's a blue wave at the start and then the the red wave comes in towards the end of the evening around midnight right that's because every republican either uh comes and votes after work or you know they vote at lunchtime or what have you whereas the democrats they vote early and so that's why they always kind of start off strong but you know back to the point is what do we do now right so if we have a third world nation politically how do we act and that's a tough one because we are not going to get to the point of saving the republic with what we have right we can't keep doing the same things we've always done and expect different results because that's the definition of insanity we have to try something different and at this point there's really only there's two options the nuclear option and then the, the mega nuclear option right so the nuclear option is a convention of states that is the only 
thing we have left to fix this country permanently and give us another 250 years. And a convention of states, if you're not familiar with that, allows the state legislatures in all 50 states to enact federal constitutional amendments without the president, without the federal Senate, and without the federal House. They get sidelined. They don't get a say. So how it works, right? We have to, I think in two-thirds or three-quarters of the states, we have to pass legislation and have it signed to participate in a convention of states. That's step one. So I think that requires uh, 25, uh, not 25, 28 states or something like that uh, to get that signed. And then once that's signed, we have to call a convention of states, right? So that is a, a no joke meeting where each state would send a delegate or two delegates. And these delegates would be nominated by state legislatures to go to this convention. And they... They could be federal senators, but they should not be, right? Because we want to bypass them. We want to send them to the Constitutional Convention, and then we have to propose constitutional amendments. And then they have to be voted on by the convention, right? So Kansas, where I live, could send a delegate, and they could send me, for instance. And I would propose a constitutional amendment for term limits. Uh, Term limits, balanced budget... Ending the Federal Reserve and going back to gold standard, a age limits uh, amendment for Congress, Senate, and President, and then we would put in a sunset clause for every federal bill that is not a constitutional amendment. I would propose those five things, and by proposing those five things, I think we could fix the country long term. I really do. Uh, those are the things that the Constitution missed that I think are critical at this day and age in order to preserve the republic. So the convention would vote on these five things. If those five things all got passed, right, by the convention, then it would go to the states. And I believe three-quarters or two-thirds of the states have to ratify. And it's, I'm sorry, I'm a little confused. I don't have it in front of me. It's either two-thirds to call a convention and then three quarters to ratify or it's reversed right so if we're able to do that call a convention ratify these constitutional amendments they become constitutional amendments without having to worry about congress and the senate at a federal level and that's how we take the power back from the feds right so much of our power has been delegated upwards which has been defaulted from the house and senate and basically to the president And they do that for election, right? It's difficult for a senator or a congressman to have meaningful bills because that is attached to their name and it's easier for them to skate by and do nothing than it is to take moral stands in the defense of liberty, right? And then they might fail. And nobody wants to fail because they're worried about getting reelected. They're not worried about doing the right thing. They're worried about getting reelected. If we quit dangling the carrot of re-election through term limits, we incentivize people to do the right thing while they're there because it's not going to be a career position for them. It's going to be a two-term thing, and you're done. Uh, and that's that. So that's one way that we can fix the republic. The other nuclear option 
is the the mega nuclear option, right? And this would be things like uh, setting up cities, counties, maybe even states, right, autonomously. And I don't like it. There needs to be uh, 50 states, right? But if there aren't 50 states, then we need to take a methodical approach doing it legally to try to institute more states, right? So for instance, I live in Kansas. Kansas is always kind of teetering between blue and red. We are, by geographical area, we are 99% red. There are two cities. One city is Wichita, which is a a population of about 400,000. That's probably 40 to 45% blue at any given time. And then there's Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas, which Kansas City, Kansas is probably about 200,000 people. So we're probably talking, uh, I'll even give it 1 million, 1 million Democrats out of the, uh, I believe, 8 million people, right? However, just the way it works out, we're always teetering between blue. We've had blue governors. We almost had a blue senator. And, you know, I'm a libertarian. I would love to see a libertarian in office. He did get 4%. Uh, which is fantastic for a libertarian. However, we almost had a a liberal in office because of that. So, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with libertarians running for office right now. Uh, I just do. It just, that's the way it works. But anyway, the idea is separate Kansas City off, right, from the rest. Let them be their own little thing. And let's start 50 other things within regular Kansas, right? The real Kansas, uh, where we're not a bunch of liberals. And then we'll see what happens, right? So California wants to do the same. There's an area in California, Northern California, I think closer to Oregon, that wants to break off and be uh, be its own state. And why shouldn't they, right? So if California, which is overwhelmingly Democrat controlled, they have high taxes and poor policies. If there's a swath of California that wants to be its own state, why should it not be its own state? We should let that happen, right? So there's something called the Free State Project, which I think is in either Vermont or New Hampshire, where a bunch of libertarians basically decided they're going to move up there. They're going to move up there, and they're going to try to affect elections, and they're going to try to, from a grassroots perspective, get libertarians elected, right, at a local county, state, and then eventually national level. It hasn't worked, unfortunately, because those are bluer than blue, always. So I know that some libertarians kind of lean to the left and some lean to the right. I absolutely lean to the right, personally. Uh, But, you know, those libertarians don't look like they showed up at all. You know, they got 1.6% for Joe Jorgensen, looking like in uh in new hampshire and so vermont she got one percent and then the green party got one and then kanye west got 0.3 which is kind of funny (laughs) but but anyway i think that's really the way forward right we need to get rid of the idea that this is a united states of america with 50 states and there's two parties we need to start exercising nullification at a state level we need to start exercising a little more autonomy People were flipped out about the the Chaz area, right, within uh, Seattle, the autonomous zone. 
I guess I don't really understand why, right? Because for me, that's the ideal. You know, I don't like those people. I think they're idiots and I want nothing to do with them. So I'm not aligning with them personally, but the premise for me is solid. If a bunch of libertarians could band together and buy 500 acres, I see no reason if they buy that money, if they use that money and buy that land outright, right, in its free market, I see no reason why they should not be able to set up their own city, self-govern, and become an independent little enclave. And then, you know, you have to, oh, county taxes, and they're going to get you. Uh, Yeah, that sucks. And, you know, I don't know how to deal with that. Should we be beholden to that? I don't know. You know, it's, it's one of those things, like, if you live in America, you're an American, and that means a lot of really awesome things. But unfortunately you're at the same time kind of, I hate to say this word, but kind of enslaved to the political system. And I get why that is, right? Because we don't want to have 100,000 nations and become a Germania, right, of the Celtic times. We don't want to have warring tribes and we want to have a rule of law. But the thing of it is, is that there's no reason why we can't have way more autonomy than what we currently have. This election has been the most crucial election of all time. And they say that every year. <laughs> but Because uh, every year it's true. And it gets more crucial than the last election. And the problem is, is that we're all looking to the top, right? And we need to look to the bottom. If we can throw a hand grenade into the political system as it stands, the status quo, and break it up, we have a chance of actually succeeding in developing some really good ideas going forward. And I think the two things we can look at is the Convention of States, and I think we can look at the nullification uh, of all kinds of laws, right? And then we can look at, okay, maybe if those both fail, maybe it's time to start breaking this up a little bit, right? Let's get a little bit more autonomous and, and see where that goes. But the only other option is totalitarianism, and that might come from the left, that might come from the right, Uh, And either way, it's bad, right? Totalitarianism is bad, regardless of the flavor. And that's where we're heading now. So yeah, I encourage you to look up the Convention of States because that is option number one. That is the nuclear option. That's the last ditch option. It's in the Constitution. It can work. And we need to make it happen. So look it up and let's get behind that idea first before we start talking about the other options because those are not going to be fun. Until next time, thanks for listening. Transmission incoming, over. Copy that, transmission received.